chapter 1. And if you're here and you own a silver Kia Sedona, uh, could you meet our head usher right in the back? Uh, If you have a silver Kia Sedona, uh, please do that whenever that uh, needs to happen. That was in the scriptures. No, it wasn't in the scriptures. (laughs) Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1, we're going to look at there and and uh, can I just take a second and just say, I, am, I love our lead pastors, Eugene and Laura Smith. Can we give them a huge hand? I just want to love them. And, man, just uh, so grateful for their leadership. And as you're turning there to Daniel chapter 1, I do want to give you a little heads up on uh, what's happening in my world. Uh, my little guy turned nine months uh, like in the, just right, just right around this corner. And so, uh, there he is in our city kids, uh, nursery. And so the last four weeks he started crawling. All of you guys had said, you know, Hey, once he crawls, it's forever over. I get it. I got it. It's amazing how he went from one crawl to now he's like this motor and machine. And partly as a man, I'm pretty proud of my kid because he can go so far, but then now I'm exhausted all at the same point. And so, so we're excited about that. Also, we were trying to figure out who, what he would say. Would he say mama or dada first? And last week he said dada for the first time. So I win. I won. And I don't even care the fact that the stats are that 87% of all kids say dad, dad first because it's easier for them. I don't know that stat. That doesn't even relate with me. The fact is my kid said dad first. So that's the deal. Are you there? Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. Can we look at it together? Let me read it. The Bible says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome we could just stop. You could just stare at me while I read this to you. Uh, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And the king wanted to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. Everybody say three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, some from God's people. And uh, among that list was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official came with new name, gave them new names. And so to Daniel, the name was Belteshazzar. To Hananiah was Shadrach. To Mishael was Meshach. And to Azariah was Abednego. And then if you have an actual Bible, or even in your digital Bible, uh, I want you to highlight or underline verse 8, because I think this is so important. The Bible says this, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. If you, if you have a new, anybody have a new King James Version Bible today? Anybody? Okay, all, all three of us, cool. Well, what is it, if, if you have yours open, it would say that he purposed in his heart. In other words, he pre-planned that no matter what would happen to him, he said he was not going to defile himself. So, if you don't know what the title of the message is, I titled the message, I Will Not Defile Myself. We're going to look at, in fact, I feel like verse 8 just sums up the whole story of Daniel, because we see throughout the story that he was tested on that statement of whether he was going to honor God or not. Let's pray. Can we do that? Father, thank you, God, for the Kia Sedona that's outside. God, we also thank you, God, for every single individual that's here. Thank you, God, that the word of God that you've given us is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. And God, I thank you that it absolutely can transform us. And so, God, as we open up these scriptures, as we open up our hearts, God, would you speak to us? God, what you've downloaded in my heart, download it in our church today. Let it change our families. Let it change our tomorrow. Let it change our workplaces. God, we thank you that your word can 
absolutely do that. And so we give you free reigns to let that happen. If you agree with me, just say amen. Graduating high school, my senior year, I decided to go off to Florida State University. Any, any Florida State fans? Okay. Any Florida State fans? Are there any? I know we have a graduate, right? We have a graduate just this last week or so. Congratulations. Uh, any Gator fans? Uh, any Miami fans? Yeah, this ain't the church for you. Just kidding. <laughs> so I went off to Florida State University. I wanted to get my business degree up there. And so I, if you can imagine with me, my, my, my car, my beat up Honda Accord with little to no AC is packed to the brim with all of my essentials to go up to Tallahassee, our state's capital, and uh, where Florida State resides, and to move in and go there. So I leave the house that I grew up in, that I was born in, and now I'm on this new chapter in my life. And as I get up there, I get everything unpacked, and uh, I get this little paper in, under my door, and it basically said something along the lines of get to know your neighbor party, something like that. I'm like, well, I don't know anybody, so that sounds good. How about we do that? And so I went to go meet my neighbors, and as I went down to the pool, the community pool, what I found was about 12 cakes across the uh, Across, across the way, and as I sat down there, uh, no joke, this is a true story, uh, not that there wouldn't be a true story up here, but I'm just stating the fact before I say this kind of shocking thing, but within about 10 to 15 minutes, couldn't be more than 30, I had a young girl, she was a sophomore in college, a blonde-haired girl, and she comes up to me and through, minus a few words and basically says, have you ever slept with a girl on the swim team? Like, well... Come to think of it, uh, no, I haven't done that, actually. Uh, yeah, no, I haven't done that. Um, and then she kind of went on within about 10 or 15 minutes of that and basically said, I could be your first. Okay, cool. Uh, and so now I am with this decision that I have to make. Choice A is that I give in to this moment. Uh, I sleep with someone else's daughter. I sleep with someone else's future mom, somebody that I really have no intentions to be with. Um, when you say it like that, PG, that sounds gross. But the truth is, I, 19, I wasn't thinking that way, but that's the truth. I had that choice to make, or I would uh, not defile myself. Now, the choice wasn't that simple, because literally I haven't even rested my head on the pillow yet. I mean, I literally just put my stuff down, and here I am in this debacle. And let me tell you why this is so difficult, was because I grew up in the church. I had a reputation in my Orlando community. I grew up in Orlando. I had a reputation that... I was a Christian. I was a Christ follower. Girls wouldn't approach me like that, or at least they wouldn't do it as direct like that for sure. But up there, I had no reputation. In fact, I could have completely slept with her that night or whatever that day or whatever that might have looked like, um, and I could have been in church that Sunday because, I listen, I had no youth group to hold me accountable. My parents weren't there anymore. My friends that I kind of had this nucleus, no one was there except me and myself in front of this decision. The only person that would have ever known was me, that girl and God. But I had a choice to make. And thankfully, I chose to stay pure and I chose to not defile myself. And I don't know about you. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Awesome. I don't know about you, but uh, I would have clapped right there too because I love to see people that make a decision to not compromise their position with God. No matter what the girl or glory or gold might be in front of them, they make a decision to knock. I love to hear those stories. I love to see those stories, do we not? I love to see dads. If you're a dad in this room, lift up your hand. I love to see you live your life in a way that you do not compromise any portion. Work, place, 
at your family life and your, with your relationship with your spouse. All the moms in the room, where are you at? Hey, right. oh, come on, moms. I love to see stories from you of not compromising your position with God. And this story of Daniel is totally that. It's him making a decision and his boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, saying, you know what, I don't care what happens. I'm not going to compromise myself. And so when we pick up in this story here in Daniel chapter 1, what we're finding is that, get this, Daniel is in a conflict between what God is doing in him and what the world is doing around him. He's in a conflict, is he not? And the conflict affects every area of his life. Uh, he's in a, uh, we, we learn about the Daniel fast, right? He's in a dietary conflict. I mean, even down to the eating Even the way that he ate was different than the culture that was around him. God was calling him to eat differently, but the culture was telling him to do something else. His priorities were different. The way he approached relationships and marriage, it was different. And most importantly, his worship was different, was it not? In fact, we see it. I mean, in just a second, we're going to find King Nebuchadnezzar building a 90-foot idol of himself for all to worship. And so he has this moment, and, and Daniel and his boys, they all have a decision to make. Is he going to give in to what the world is wanting to do to him, or is he going to not compromise that and live for God? Can we not relate? Can we not just completely find ourselves right here in Daniel chapter 1? Everybody in this room, on an hourly, if not minute basis, you have to make a choice, just as Daniel and his, and, and his, and his boys did, to say, God, I'm not going to defile myself. And I'm not going to compromise my position with God. And that's exactly what Daniel and his boys did. But guess what? When you make that decision, you will be tested, won't you? And so we see that in Daniel chapter 3, right? We see that, uh, if if you know the story, uh, which you just saw on the video, right? King Nebuchadnezzar comes to him and says, listen, if you don't worship my idols, you're going to get thrown into a fiery furnace. Now, can I just pause for a second and just say this verse is really difficult for us as American Christians sitting in an air-conditioned building it's hard for us to really relate with this passage. Uh, and you say, how is that? Well, let me just ask you a question. Did anybody get thrown into a fiery furnace today for worshiping Jesus? No, right? And we, so we live in a country, and we live in a, in a church where we have world-class child care, a manicured message for you, a, a Bible app on your phone. Uh, you have a free country where you're able to worship Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you might not have some, te- some temptations. I'm not saying you're never persecuted, but definitely nothing like this. Nobody's in this place is going to get thrown into a fiery furnace for worshiping God today. And so we have a tough time wrestling with this passage because here's the deal. If you did start experiencing a fiery trial immediately, or let me just say if we don't watch it, we end up thinking that we are doing something wrong with God. But here's the thing, guys. The verse, the, the scripture says that he was doing everything right. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did everything right. And so the result of them doing everything right was that they went into the fire. Not that they were doing everything wrong. They were doing it. We have to wrestle with that. And you say, well, but hold on, PG. Now, you don't know the rest of the story. Maybe I need to get up there and preach it for you because you're missing it. Because you know what happens, right? He looks at King Nebuchadnezzar and he says, I don't care what you say. My God's going to defend us and he's going to step up and give me the fire. Turn it up seven times. Make it as hot as you want because my God's going to pull us through. And PG, you don't know the rest of the story. You see, there were three guys in there, but then we saw a fourth. And we believe that's the Son of God and we believe that's Jesus. And so, guess what? You know that he's going to pull you through. And if he's going to go through a fire, you better believe that one day he's going to pull you through. And if he's going to go through that fire, he's only getting ready to test you, to position you to where he wants you to go. And PG, you, maybe I need to come up there and preach. But does, does that, is that really what the text says? 
Let's look at it. Can we do that? Daniel 3? Come on, everybody in the room, would you pull it out? Pull it out on your phone. Daniel chapter 3. If you need to share with your neighbor, let's look at it together. Let's look at what the Bible actually says about that passage. Daniel chapter 3, verse 13. I'll give you a moment to get there. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, It is true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you're going to be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Now here's where we love it. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's mighty hand. And then we like to stop right there and just preach it forever and close the service off. And no matter what trial you go through, God's going to pull you through. And that's all true, but, but we, there's another verse 18, isn't there? And listen to what he says, because I want to help you in your theology of how you approach God. Look what he says. He says, but even if he doesn't, he's going to pull us through. But even if he doesn't, your majesty, I love how he's still proper with them, still honoring. That we will, but, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know that your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Hell in high water, we're not, defying, we're not defiling ourselves. I mean, you can give God a hand if you like to. It's okay. You know what this tells us? This tells us that their choice to follow God was unconditional. In other words, there were no conditions. There were, there were no strings attached. And if we don't watch it, guys, in our American culture, we will approach Jesus with conditions. Right? I will worship you, God, only if... Only if you save my marriage. I will worship God only if you get my son back on track. I will worship you God only if you give me that promotion. I will worship you God only if you pull through in this situation. And this is the scary part. If you don't watch it, you end up worshiping the outcome. And you never worship Jesus. And if your whole faith is built on the outcome, then all you need is the wrong outcome and you're done with God. And if your faith is built on a feeling that you experience on Sunday, then what happens is that when that feeling goes away, your relationship with God is done. Because your relationship with God was was conditional. What does the Bible say in John 3:16? For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, not his outcome, not his blessings, not what he can do for you as if God is our butler. That's not the way this thing works. Whoever believes in him and him alone shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. Now, let me just stop for a second and, and let me bring this back in, in, into uh, proper theology here. We absolutely believe that we're going to get through the fire, do we not? 100%. And if you today went to the ho- you were in the hospital and, and I came and prayed for you, let me, let me tell you, we're going to cry together. We're going to believe God together, and we're going to believe that God is going to heal you right there on the spot because he can absolutely do it. But if he doesn't, we're not going to stop worshiping him. 
We're not going to stop believing. That's the tension, is it not? I mean, that's what we're feeling here. My God is going to get me through this. But even if he doesn't, I, my worship to him is not built on the outcome. It's built on him. And I want you to know that, man, not defiling yourself is worth it. And So here's the question that I just want to wrestle with real quick. But how did he really do this? I mean, how did Daniel really do this? I mean, he sounds like a superstar. He sounds like Jesus himself. It seems like he never does anything wrong. I mean, what are some of the practical things that Daniel really did to actually stand up? And when everybody else bowed down, Daniel and his boys stood up. I mean, what caused him to be able to live a life like that? Well, three things that I just want to give you very, very quickly. Number one is he was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. We see that in Daniel chapter 9. We see it multiple times. In fact, he has some of the coolest prayers I've really seen in the Bible, does he not? He was a man of prayer. He was quick to pray, fast to come to God and say, God, I'm not sure. And even when, we're not even talking about the Daniel and the lion's did, but when he was approached with that situation, what does he do? He goes up into his room and goes out towards the window and he just begins to pray. It wasn't that he was a great person, it's that he was a man of prayer. And you say, how do I stand for God? Well, listen, be a person of prayer. And we think, we, I think a lot of times we think prayer is a lot more about changing God's mind, but I think, I think it's a lot more of him changing your mind. Because see, it wasn't that he didn't go through the fire, it's just he looked at it differently. It wasn't that he didn't go through a Daniel's den, he just looked at it differently because he was constantly in the perspective of what God was seeing in that moment. So number one, he's a person of prayer. Second thing that we see is he knew the word of God. He was a person of the scripture. In fact, what sets up our week next week of all the Israelites coming home was that, was that Daniel was reading the, the words of the prophet Jeremiah. And all of a sudden he's looking through there and he goes, wow, we're only going to be here for 70 years and that 70 years is almost up. And so because he was a man of the word, he was able to give faith and hope to the people of Israel so that they knew that, that God wasn't done with them. And you need to be a person of the word. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that the word washes us. It cleanses us, it transforms us, it changes us from the inside from the inside out. And the last thing he did, real practical, but he allowed God to form him daily. It, listen, it's not how many messages get to you, it's how many messages of God get in you. It's not how many services you attend that makes you a great follower of Jesus. You can attend every service and still defile yourself. You can still attend every, every service. You can read your Bible every day. And still, if you don't take time to allow it to form you on a daily basis, then we, are not, we would not be able to live a life like Daniel's been able to live. But I'm here to tell you that we can. That's the beauty of it, is that he's not some superhero. He's a regular guy that just had some really good habits in his life and always continually approached, it, approached his life the way that God was calling him to approach. And so I want you to know, man, you can absolutely do it. But what about you? Are you a person of prayer? Are you a person of the word? When was the last time you opened your Bible outside of a Sunday? I just want to help you. You can do this thing. Your relationship with God can get way beyond Sunday morning if you want it to. Are you a person that really doesn't just hear messages, but really allows it to get inside of you? And, and I know many of you do that. And you can see you know, a person that's been serving God for three years, five years, ten years, and you can see God working on them. And they, they, they begin to see things differently. Are you that type of person? I want you to know, man, that if you are, and, and if you make the decision not to defile yourself, I want you to know it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. i got a final story that I wanted to share with you. Just a couple months ago, I had the cool opportunity to be able to go to our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and I got an opportunity to... to um, 
not only be up there, but then I got an opportunity to tour the Capitol and to meet the chaplain of our Senate. His name is Gary Black. Can we put that, those pictures up there? There's him. Such a sick bow tie. I'm so jealous of that bow tie. Where's that other picture? That's our group that was there that day. And, and um, this is so cool. This is actually a room inside of the Capitol where nobody's really able to be. And um, we're up there. And just a little background on, Gary, on Chaplain Gary Black. So he is the very first African-American chaplain of the Senate ever. Cool. Right? That's cool. You can give God a hand for that. That's really cool. Not only that, I'm just going to brag on him for a little bit, but he has three master's degrees and two earned doctorates. He, was, he served our Navy for 27 years, reached the highest chaplaincy position that you possibly could. He became a rear admiral at the, at the height of his career. An amazing guy. He walks into the room, and it's just electric. This dude can preach the house down. He walks in. He does a 20-minute message. You want to know what it was called? His message, he got up there. He said, I want to entitle this message, I Will Not Defile Myself. And he went on to share the story. Can I share it with you? So he gets up there and he starts sharing the story. We're in the Capitol. It's so cool. You know, he gets up there. He says, I was, it's weird because I had the, the same story I started out with as I was 19. He shared a story about when he was 19. But his is way cooler. Just wait. So he's 19 and he says, I saw this girl and I read this book. He said, I read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And he said, you know what? I'm going to try what Dale Carnegie taught me on Homegirl over here, right? And so he meets this girl, and he sets it up, and he talks about how she basically looked like half Beyonce and half Halle Berry all in one at the age of 19. That's what he said. And, uh, and so he started to get to know her. Well, she ends up being a minister's daughter. Starts going to the church. He loves God, really trying to do things right and, and going to school. And so they start to get to know each other. Well, the parents, the minister and, and the, the girl's mom, uh, want to spend a weekend with him just to get to know him. So the minister had some type of access to a beach house, and so they decided to take a three-day weekend and kind of get to know each other. So he drives the girl over to the beach house, and they get in the room, and all of a sudden she gets a phone call from her dad, and basically her parents just said, hey, we, something came up. We can't make it. He just said, hold on, every fellas. Now I'm stuck in a beach house for three days with a girl that looks like Beyonce and Halle Berry, and I'm 19. And he said, uh, he said, every night, no joke, so cool, we're in the Capitol. He said, every night, he said, I locked myself in the bathroom. I grabbed a pillow, and I grabbed a blanket, and I slept in the bathtub. He said, Cause, yeah, cool, yeah, awesome. He said, because I just, I couldn't do it. I just, I knew it was wrong. There was, there was this conflict, but I wouldn't do it. And so he went on, after that, he went on to get his bachelor's and master's, and he got some doctorates, and and he started pastoring. And 20 years later, he's pastoring in this church, not much bigger than this, this auditorium. And he said in that, he preached a great message. And all of a sudden, that same woman, 20 years later, comes up to him after, after the service. He says, listen, honey. He said, we're both happily married. You got kids. We, I, we have kids. Just, just, you know, that's okay. She said, no, no, no. I need to let you know the rest of that story. She's, he said, well, what's, you know, what's the deal? And, and she said, well, what you don't know is that that weekend, I was seven weeks pregnant. And my dad talked me into forcing you to sleep with me because we wanted you to be the father because of how great of a guy you are. And he said, if I would have done that that night, he said, I would have never had that conversation. I would have never gotten that degree. I would have never ended up in the Navy. I would have never gotten that doctorate. I would have never gotten that doctorate. And I would not be standing in front of you as the very first African-American 
chaplain of the U.S. Senate. And he looked us in the eye and he said, do not defile yourself. Just stand to your feet. We pray. Same question we ask every single week is what is God saying to you? House lights are going to be turned down. Nothing real spiritual about it. It's just a moment for you to respond. Remember, we don't just want to hear a good message. That's what we prayed earlier today. But we want to hear God. You want to hear God speak to you. So here's my question. What is God saying to you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nothing spiritual about it. Just not looking around. Dad, what is God speaking to you? Mom, what is God speaking to you? Son, what is God saying to you? If you don't know, just 